You're listening to the You Mentor Talk Show, now available on the Umoja app. I'm your host, Imran Daramsi, and on this weekly talk show, we invite professionals and teenagers to take us through their journeys and give us advice. Remember, if you have any questions for the panelists, you can always leave them on the Inspire app, or you can reach out to the panelists, uh, given the information that they give in the in the show itself. Um, and so before we start, we wanted to mention a bit about the Inspire platform, um, which is a question and answer platform for career advice in our Shia community. Um, so if you've never heard about this, um, you should know that as a rising professional, you can ask for great advice from other professionals in our community. Um, and as a mentor, you can give advice to our community's future professionals. Um, and that is available um, if you download the Umoja app and make an account on Android and iOS, that's how you can get access to that. Um, and then one other thing, um, we are able to share stories of inspiring professionals, students, and community organizations only because of the generous support of viewers and listeners like you. So please help us keep the mic on and consider supporting us at mojarch.org slash donate or in the Moja app. Thank you. Uh, now on to uh, the main part, obviously, today's speaker. Uh, today's speaker is Dr. Hossein Jarahi. Um, who is an associate professor at the UNC School of Information and Library Science. Um, he completed his undergraduate studies in public administration in Iran, um, where he also uh, worked on web development as a side passion. Um, and then after that, he pursued the field of information systems, which lies at the intersections of organizations and technology uh, at the London School of Economics. Um, Currently, he researches and teaches about the role of information technology in organizational contexts, um, and his most recent research is examining the adoption of artificial intelligence in shaping knowledge-based work practices. So um, I'm sure we'll learn a lot more about his research and what he does exactly, um, and also the day-to-day -day of academia um, and, and all of that. So let's welcome Dr. Jarahi on the show. Assalamualaikum, Dr. Jarahi. Thank you for being with us. Thanks. Um, so I know I read a little bit about your background, um, but just for maybe people who don't know what those fields are that I was talking about, like public administration and information systems, could you tell us a little bit more about yourself? Absolutely. So public administration concerns a management of organizations in public sector. So mm -hmm. it has it focuses a lot on concepts of organization behavior, organization design, and just uh, basic management concepts. Information systems is when the concept of organizing management um, gets combined with the, the, the understanding of technology. Okay. In particular, how information technology can be, can be used, how the strategic power of this technology can be harnessed for organizational ends hmm. and how we can, because uh, information technology is a complicated technology and is increasingly shaping our personal and professional lives. And so you did your undergrad in public administration. Um, and then what drew you to then pursue graduate studies in information systems, as opposed to just continuing on like the government path? So as you noted, I was working on web design, web development quite early in uh, 2000s. And I wanted to see how I can combine these two passions. I, I, I was sure that I, I don't want to go into like purely technical field like computer okay. science or computer engineering. 
Mm-hmm. And I was more interested in the application, but uh, I was basically playing with the technology and application in organizational context. So that brought me to information systems. Hmm. Got it. Okay. Um, could you maybe give us a little bit of a better idea of some of the concepts in the field of information systems? I know we were talking about um, the fact that social media algorithms just keep feeding you the same stuff as what you're interested in. So we, so if you could just maybe talk a little bit more about that, just so we get an idea of, of what kind of things you study. Sure. So um, my research is organizationally and work focused. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's where most of information system research was 30, 40 years ago, uh, because okay. only bigger organizations like IBM or U.S. Navy of the world could afford those technologies. Mm-hmm. Now, um, everyone, um, you know, when you wake up, you have your iPhone in your hand, you probably right, yeah. sleep, you have it by your by your bed. And in between you, uh, most of your information comes, professional, personal comes from the digital environment. How mm-hmm. you interact with uh, this uh, uh, massive influx of information, how you use multiple forms of technology, whether they're uh, like tangible like iPhone or intangible like social media or uh, artificial intelligence, which is another research interest of mine, algorithms, um, that is complicated. In, uh, in my research, I want to know how people make most of, of these technology or how their work, how their life might be hampered because there are a lot of really unintended you know, consequences to this tool yeah. and their application in our, our life and our organizations. Okay. Um, we didn't really talk about this in the pre-interview, but I feel like maybe we should discuss it. Can you talk about what your grad school, graduate school process was like? So the, um, I went to two different uh, graduate schools. Uh, one was in London. The other one was in the U.S. London was Master's in Information uh, System. The other one was um, the um, Information Science and Technology in the U.S. They okay. were a little bit different, but the experience, I think, um, was how it was different from an undergraduate um, you know, study. It was more theoretical. It was more driven by research ideas, research problems. And just mm-hmm. uh, more student-driven. I mean, those okay. of us who have gone through, you know, graduate and undergraduate studies, you can tell um, uh, the pillar of undergraduate uh, study is um, lectures. You yeah. see the lectures, and a lot of it is driven by professors and instructors. So my experience was very self-driven, and I, I mean, that was actually a big uh, motivation for me to stay in academia. Hmm, got it. So you got your master's and then your PhD. How many years did that take? Oh, that was long. So master's in the UK is one full year. In the US, my PhD uh, took quite a long time. It was like, um, and I changed university because my advisor um, moved. Um, so oh. I think in total, it was six years. In total, the PhD was six years. Hmm. Okay. Okay, cool. Um, we were also talking about uh, specifically um, academia versus research, uh, sorry, academia versus industry. So could you describe a little bit of um, what does your day-to-day look like in academia? And then we'll talk a little bit more about industry. So um, I have a lot of flexibility. I uh, Certain aspects of my my work life, 
my schedule is as a structure and those are typically teaching and service oriented activities where I have to attend meetings. Uh, for the most part are classes that I got to attend and uh, the rest of it is just pretty open. Hmm. So I, I wake up in the morning. I mean, that's the timing of it. It's, I, I, I pretty cherish that I have control over it. Hmm. Um, the days I can teach, the time that I can teach, I have some control over it, not total control. Yeah. But the rest of it is just uh, me figuring out these big projects, working towards them. The projects sometimes pan out in years. Uh, and just making sure I spend enough time on these research projects um, and just be driven. Um, that doesn't mean that one thing I want to emphasize is uh, it's not solitary work. We collaborate a lot. Okay. And those collaboration mm -hmm. brings another interesting dimension to it, which uh, comes with responsibility, meetings, and other constraints. Hmm. And then we, so you talked about the flexibility. Um Initially, when you said flexibility, I thought that was generally positive. But then you said it's so it's a double edged sword. Could you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. So um, I actually study some of that flexibility as a dimension oh, okay. in the future of work. <laughs> so flex, the, the benefits are quite um, clear, I think, for your audience. You can work from different places. You might be traveling. Hmm. We're not tied to a specific location. That's what we call a spatial flexibility, temporal. You don't need to be nine to five specifically. Um, but the the potential downside of it, you you don't know where your day ends, uh, right. ends and where it starts. By day, I mean work day. And you got to be very careful about uh, conflation of personal and personal life and work. And making sure that the that the work doesn't take over your personal life. And how how do you maintain the work life balance? Because I know it's, I'm sure it's easy for the all the meetings and things to just bleed into your your homes home life. I mean that's hard. Um, I do not. I'm not really proud of any routines there, but at least I try, I mean, to have some uh, temporal structure, like over the weekend, try to mm. spend time with my family. I would travel and I make sure that I won't, um, I tell people that I'm traveling if it's for leisure, for family. Uh, you just tell other people because, and I think this is not just about academia. Some of the things that we are dealing with are norms. If you mm. uh, reply back to emails after, uh, you know, 30 minutes or like 10 p.m., people would expect that that becomes an emerging expectation over these digital media. Mm. You tell them I'm not, I work like with this professor that I know if I send an email on Friday, she's gonna reply back on Monday. That is the, she never talked about this, but this is what happens and you, mm. you, you develop that expectation. Mm. So some of it is just your own conscious norms and practices. Um. I was just thinking, as someone who studies work and organizations, this must be very meta for you <laughs> to talk about your own work and, and like the mechanics behind it. <laughs> um, okay, uh, I feel like uh, maybe a lot of our listeners are never have really considered a career in academia before or don't really know what it's about. So could we talk a little bit about like skills and goals? So specifically, what skills do you need to have to be a successful academic 
And then what are the goals in academia? Because they're pretty different from the ones that you would have if you're working at a, a company in industry. The This is quite, again, meta and abstract. The primary goal is contributing to the current state of um, research and knowledge. Now, that if I want to make it more specific, there are three jobs in research-based academic universities. Um, mm -hmm. Main duties: number one, research, teaching, and then number three is service. Service means to the uh, to the university, to the students. To the, that, that's that's different than teaching. Okay. Uh, advising PhD students, mm -hmm. um, and you know, reviewing, serving on review panels, and things like that. Counts. Okay. So that those are, and uh, the order shows the importance of you know the, that that order is intentional research teaching and service services and research is the most and then in in research based university not like the first hundred university in the U.S. specifically mm -hmm. research takes over um, so you basically research you develop new knowledge you try to convey it to student teach them to teach that to the students and provide service to the community at large, academic community to be more specific inside and outside of the university. So a lot of it is just constantly being curious about questions and trying to answer, defining questions. Some of those questions are defined mm -hmm. by you. The question itself should be smart. And trying to answer those questions, actually we call them research questions. We have a name for them. And then trying to can't we be have to write a lot still the main um, mode of delivery to the research community is writing not doing podcasts those are uh, peripheral type of activities but writing a lot of papers articles going through peer reviews that is invisible work we do sometimes years of peer review of people reading our article reviewing them and you know trying to revise them and get them published uh, so we've got something that is called, I mean, called publish or perish um, in academia, which means <laughs> we've got to publish constantly. Got it. Okay. So that's like your main goal, like the main incentive. In terms of dissemination of your research is publishing and getting grants to support your lab, your students and yourself to some, and research activities sometimes are expensive. Hmm. Right. Okay. Um, and then how is the mindset in academia different from the one that's in industry because maybe some people who are in undergrad they're trying to decide where to go including myself obviously but for for other people even out there um that's that's an interesting question and i mean it's hard to answer that because industry itself is not very homogeneous uh, because okay yeah some industrial work is very research center but mm -hmm. i think the biggest difference is things in um in outside of academia are very mission center mm -hmm. specific projects deliverables and those are geared towards very specific needs customer clients and services in academia things are not that driven by immediate needs or some i mean the stakeholders we still have stakeholders people that right. are to serve that's public that's the research community hmm. um but things are i would say much more abstract theory oriented in a sense that you are not driven by immediate goals like that or immediate projects um so i would say i mean that's hard to uh to generalize across the board but work in academia is less structured 
Got and it. if you are very passionate about pursuing questions, understanding the world around you, however you define it, if you're a chemical engineer, your world is very different from a medical a researcher or a sociologist or anthropologist. If you're curious about these questions, academia is the place to, um, to pursue. Okay, thank you. Um, and then the other thing we're talking about is um, the idea of tenure. So for our listeners who maybe don't, uh, haven't heard that word before. Uh, what is tenure in academia? So I think that's more of a U.S. concept. Um, that concept is, it comes in different shapes and forms in other countries. Um, in, in the U.S., tenure means after typically six years of your service, your work, you're, you're, you're being assessed in a very comprehensive manner. Hmm. And um, the, the, the university will make a decision, and that decision can be, Either you, they keep you or you got to leave. Um, <laughs> and that happens all the time. People, mm. so it's not like you can continue. Um, mm. But once you are given tenure, uh, you're promoted. And from that point on, that's a turning point. You become an associate professor from the rank of assistant professor. Mm. But also, you get, I think, a quite uh, interesting and solid uh, job security which is kind of missing uh, elsewhere in the U.S., in yes. the job market. Right. So it's hard to fire you unless you do something crazy. Um, and you are much more secure after the 10-year. Hmm. Got it. Okay. Um, how about uh, the skills that you need to go into academia? So I, I would imagine with all this, because of how long the training is, you need to be quite persistent for one so yeah. what are some of the other skills that 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 someone who is going to academia or thinking of it should assess themselves and ask the, ask themselves do i have this skill so i mean some of it is just the same skills that you nurture and you need to work in any other professional settings any other mm -hmm. professional setting you're going to be very persistent but right. i think you got to be very self-motivated about the work you're doing because of everything i said you don't have much of a structure you have to be mm -hmm the main driving you're basically your one thing I truly enjoy and that can not be really good for certain people your own your own boss so in that sense we share some not exactly the same type of um, habits or criteria with entrepreneurs hmm. um, okay. the paycheck is <laughs> the, the, the big difference but also <laughs> You are your own boss. I mean, typically you define what you want to do. A lot of your research projects are um, your passion, not the passion of your managers. We do not have those typical managers. The hierarchy does not work that way. Mm -hmm. uh, for that reason, you got to be very self-motivated. You got to be very persistent for years. You got to work on some problems and you got to be really passionate about those problems. But the same type of skills that you, you really need, like uh, PE skills, you got to work with a lot of different people. I mean, the first mm -hmm. group of people are students. You should be a good teacher for the most mm -hmm. part. You should be able to uh, convey concepts, some of these really complicated concepts and research ideas to your students, undergraduates. Um, and you got to work with research teams, administrative people, people from other universities. So it, it, it takes similar type of skills in, in many, I mean, in, in a similar fashion. But I think you got to be, one thing I want to emphasize is persistent and self, being self-motivated. Okay. Got it. Okay. 
Um, I have uh, two, well, one or two more, uh, more personal questions for you. And then I want to zoom out a little bit for some more general advice. So for you personally, what has been the most um, interesting experience that you've had over your time um, as a professor? I think um, we are different from industrial researchers, people, because in our field, a lot of, um, you know, PhDs go to research labs like Google or mm -hmm. like Microsoft, Facebook. Um, one, I think, plus that we have, again, you know, uh, above those types of position is being able to work with the students and seeing how they grow over the years. I started teaching in 2013. So some of these students in my 2013 class, now they are managers. Hmm. And I, it's quite interesting to, to see this evolution and how we, uh, we've been able to help them. Um, and what, I mean, the help is not just, I think, um, giving them concepts or working on the specific content or techniques, but I think one thing you can gain from a four-year education is self-confidence, being able to present yourself, being able to shape an identity. Um, and that really shapes your future career. I mean, that put you on this uh, and that's one of the reason people who go to university um to higher education they have a better it's not just about brands of brown or i don't know duke it's <laughs> yeah. also about learning some of these skills working with other students serving on um you know campus organizations as leaders and being able to connect to an extensive um network of uh recent or uh, previous graduates. So m one of my major um, experiences, one of the most positive experiences is just being connected with the body of the students who have okay. uh, graduated in the past. Hmm. Okay, thank you. Um, and that actually flows very well into uh, the next point that I wanted to talk about, which is what would be your message to students right now who are thinking about what they want to do and going through kind of a, the experimentation phase. I know you had some some interesting things about that. What would you tell them about like short-term versus long-term perspective? That's a good question. So um, I think just the broad message I wanna share tonight mm -hmm. is um, always a, a long-term perspective helps. And that's okay. hard because you're young, you're, you're only in your 20s, um, and it's hard to get that long-term perspective, but you can always decide if you're given two routes and two options, for example, two job offers, two internship opportunities, right. which one is going to only help you in short term. I mean, one yeah. of the biggest help, which is important is uh, financial incentives, right? Hmm. But that shouldn't be the only driving factors because that's not the only thing that gives you the edge over long-term. You're entering this you know, massive job market. Uh, you're competing in a global scales um, with, with, with other, other folks. And uh, gaining skills, gaining perspectives that help you over long-term is mu a much more important thing to do. Um, and as I noted, you're young, but you can connect yourself with people who are, who are able to mentor you. Programs like this, I mean, these are really helpful. You don't need to go through to, uh, exactly the same experience to learn their, their insight. Um, 
so being being smart, listening to people, and just uh, as I noted earlier, you know, having smart people in your network. And smart doesn't mean that people who can crunch numbers or tell you <laughs> what is the best uh, um, ETF to invest tomorrow. <laughs> uh, people who can see you as a as a as one person, like give you insight about your because a lot of things we hear, unfortunately, in America are about you know really sacrificing everything for your career and when you get to age of 40 50 that might be too late um, you're on a path that is irreversible and i honestly i mean my philosophy is always you know you need to have a holistic perspective which is personal life you know your family right. your new family and all of that into consideration and that comes with the balance always a holistic perspective means this balance um, one of the things you learn over the course of your career is one sided or one what we call one trick ponies that are very good in one aspect of their life but when you look at their life in a holistic manner and unfortunately some of them are presented as role models um the richest people in our country or right. you know the most successful people in industry academia mm. they're not necessarily the most balanced people right yeah so the, the balance is, is like... The balance, with, yeah, and uh, surrounding yourself by people who give you that balance. Not like mm-hmm. I, I had this conversation with some of my friends in Silicon Valley and they said they left because they were they were aware of these dynamics and they said that all of the conversation in, in bars and, you know, social gatherings were about how to get funding, how to move on to the next, you know, mm-hmm. venture that was too much that was that's and you know they had seen really bad consequences like health real health consequence of those types of you know objectives really one i would say one dimension or one dimensional type of objective and it may not fit that that is not a, a balanced perspective so surrounding by people from different communities you know that really helps People who are not very literate, they're not like they didn't even go to college, but they can give you really important uh, life perspective about mm-hmm. family. They're very successful fathers. And I feel like also um, Islam gives us a lot of tools to, to live a three-dimensional life, as you were saying, to not be just good in one dimension, to kind of force ourselves to like take a step back and adopt a more sustainable lifestyle. So I don't know if you have anything, you know, to, to add to that. Well, I think, you know, it gives this, you are not only bounded in this life, you know, there is something mm-hmm. that continues way beyond this life and probably that's more important. So how you reach that, like um, one of the thing, biggest concern in my mind is raising my children. Um, it's not just giving them the best education, sending them to best schools. That's not the only thing that reaches that goal. Um, so definitely that brings in a very interesting balanced perspective, way beyond you know what is projected as one-dimensional, what they call one-dimensional su- measures of success, metrics of success in our society. Hmm. Okay, thank you. Um, so we are unfortunately almost out of time, but I do want to, of course, ask you, um, what is your final piece of advice for our listeners? If there is one thing that you want them to take away from this show, what would it be? So one, I think one 
metrics that define your future, wherever you end up, whether in academia or outside of academia, I really like this concept of resilience. Uh, be resilient. In a sense, resilience means you're going to get the punches, um, but you still stand up. Um, right. And the route to success, however you define it, becoming a successful parent or successful businessman, academics, doctors, it, it is, they're going to be difficult routes. Uh, so you're going to fall and you're going to stand up on, you know, your knees. Mm. Um, resilience means expecting that the life is going to uh, put you through a lot, put, put you a lot of challenges and welcoming those challenges. Challenges are opportunity to learn and grow. Without challenges, you cannot grow. Without challenges, you cannot step outside of your comfort zone. And what you need is just being resilient and welcoming those challenges. Um, that's what I've learned hard way in my life. And I think that's what I want to get across mm -hmm. to, to folks in this video. Okay. Okay, great. Thank you so much. Um, thank you, Professor Jerry, for all of your advice. I'm sure um, our, our viewers will find it very interesting. And if they want to uh, reach out to you, um, maybe they heard something interesting in the show. Uh, where where would you suggest that they contact you? So uh, absolutely, like my email address. <coughs> I'm sorry, it's uh, my last name at unc.edu. Okay, so uh, Jarahi at unc.edu. Jarahi at unc.edu. Um, you can the same if you just that's my domain jarahi.com. You can find exactly that's. Mm. You can find my contact information. I'd be happy to chat more about these topics. Okay. Great. Thank you. Uh, thank you for coming on the show and, and for, for your time. Thank you. Thank you so much, Imran. Of course. Um, and thank you to all our listeners for listening. Remember, you can always catch our previous episodes on all the platforms, um, SoundCloud, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, our website. I think that's all of them. Um, and we hope that you will join us again next week um, for another show. Um, and as Professor Jarahi said, if you have any um, questions, you can reach out to him um, at his email or you can visit his website. Moja Outreach Foundation, uniting and empowering the Shia community.